Well, welcome. I'm glad that you are here this morning, and I'm glad to be sharing with you. We will be resuming uh, our study in the book of Matthew in two weeks, but right now we're doing a quick mini-series on the, the structure and vision for our church. And so uh, we have these little books, booklets available on the uh, resource table. You can grab one of those. That If you flip through it, it gives uh, sort of our uh, mission statement and uh, what we're about, what we believe about the gospel, and uh, how the good news about Jesus transforms us and changes us. And then uh, as you get further in, it talks about our vision, and it has a little uh, diagram with a big church with little churches inside it, and then a, another church there, and then a group of people all together, and then an individual. And that's because uh, this is how we see our church as being structured. We are uh, a multi-site church with one, uh, one church in multiple locations. We have campuses uh, in Wilsonville, Westland, Gladstone, and we are working on a church plant in uh, Oregon City that's um, getting started. And so we have a big church with multiple congregations, and those congregations are made up of life groups. And those life groups are made up of, of individual disciples. And so if you'd like to know more about that and a little bit about who we are, you can grab one of these on your way out. But this morning, we're focusing on that life group piece, the, the collection of disciples that meet together. So not the congregational, this is the congregational level here. We get together once a week here. But then we also have uh, smaller groups that get together throughout the week. They stay in touch with one another. They're, they're sharing meals together. Uh, they're talking about the Bible together. They're, they're working uh, together on uh, what we call living life together and following Jesus together. And uh, as we're getting ready for um, finishing this series and looking forward to the book of Matthew, I just I want to, spoil alert, tell you what the book of Matthew is about. Uh, the book of Matthew is about uh, the life of Jesus. Jesus is uh, a man who grew up uh, as not just man, but God in the flesh. And as he grew up, he was teaching his disciples, those who would follow him. He said, come, follow me. Let me teach you what it means to follow God. And so he did that. He did miraculous works to demonstrate that he was God in the flesh. He taught them what it meant to be living a life devoted to God. And then uh, at the end, he said, now here's the, ch the challenge, guys. Your sin is keeping you. Your sin is keeping you from God, being in relationship with God. And so because of that, uh, I need to die on the cross for your sin. And so he died taking the punishment for their death, and then rose again from the dead and said, okay, now, and this is what I wanted to read from Matthew 28, verses 18. This is the end of the book of Matthew. And Jesus came to them and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So this is the last instruction that Jesus gives to his disciples. He says, okay, guys, now you need to go out. You need to make disciples of all the nations. You need to teach them the things that I have taught you about what it means to follow uh, me and to be devoted to God. You need to teach them that my death and resurrection means that they can be forgiven of their sins and made right with God. You need to go and teach them those things. You need to go teach them those things. 
baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. So the disciples did uh, not quite exactly as he said, right? In, in the book of Acts, they huddled together, and instead of going out and making disciples, they hid in a room, and they talked, and they prayed, and they said, we don't know what to do. We don't know what to do. We saw Jesus die. We saw him rise again from the dead. We know that he has commissioned us to go out and make disciples of all, all nations, and then he ascended into heaven, and we watched him go, and now what? Now what? And the now what was that the Holy Spirit descended on them and empowered them and the people around the community heard what was going on and Peter preaches this great sermon at the um, beginning of Acts chapter 2 and I'm going to skip over all of that and take you right to the end, okay? He explained the whole history of Israel. He explained to them all that they needed to know. And then this is what he concluded with. I'm just going to give you his, the conclusion. He said, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him, that is Jesus, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you, and for your children, and for all who are far off, and everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And then with many other words, he bore witness to them and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation." so that those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. That's one great sermon. That's one great sermon. But what, it is, what he concludes with is, you have got to repent. Repent of your sin and be devoted to, to God by believing in Jesus and following him. And then what comes next is a description of what the church did, right? So, so uh, Luke was a, a historian, and he was writing all of these things down for us in the book of Acts about the early church, and he wrote down for us the sermon of Peter so that we would be able to read that. And then now he says, okay, so now all these people believed, right? Peter preached this great sermon. The disciples, the people who had been following Jesus were there, and all these people believed. And so what happened right after that? Let me read to you. From Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now, you read this and you go, that sounds amazing. Sounds amazing. Listen to the, this description of the things that are happening here, right? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, 
to the breaking of bread and to the prayers, and then the, the numbers of them were multiplied as more and more people were hearing about this. And you look at that and you read it and you go, doesn't that sound idyllic? Just like perfect, right? Do you, do you think that this is what it actually looked like? Is this just idealized? Yes, in some ways it is. In some ways it is because Luke is not merely recording for us a description of what happened, but is highlighting for us the most important things that the church did, that this early church did. He wants us to know these are the most important things that they did because it's not just a description of what happened, but it's a prescription for us. It is what we as a church should be doing. And so we as a New Life Church have looked at, at this, and we are not unique in any way in doing this. There are many healthy churches that are doing this. But if you uh, are familiar with the five practices of the life group that are written for you in this book, I'll, I'll read it for you for those of you who aren't familiar with the five practices of the life groups. We have priorities. Food, fellowship, prayer, word, and mission. And if you're familiar with those five practices and you're looking at the book of Acts here and you see these, these things and they devoted themselves to, what did they devote themselves to? The apostles' teaching and fellowship and breaking of bread and prayers. And you go, wait a second, that sounds an awful lot like somebody did some cheating here. That's absolutely true. We totally copied off of Luke. And we said, these are going to be our priorities as life groups. We think that if we're going to do these things and we're going to do them well, it's really hard to do that in one hour on a Sunday morning. Right? You can't do all of these things in one hour on a Sunday morning. You get together here and you try and, and do all of this and it's like, okay, how are we going to have all of this fellowship together? How are we going to have food together? How are we going to uh, pray together and devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching together and live life together in the way that it's described here in one hour on Sunday mornings? It, it can't be done. It can't be done. And so that's why we see ourselves as a church of life groups. A church of life groups. Now, other churches might call them community groups or uh, small groups or something like that. That, that. The terminology is not as important as the function of what's happening, right? That you have a community of people who are getting together, meeting together, and are devoting themselves to these things. Did you notice that word, that they're devoting themselves? They're paying attention to it. They're, they're like... Um, committing to these things. They devoted themselves to them. There's a, a book that's um, a helpful book. for. It's kind of a self-help book, but it's called Atomic Habits by James Clear. And this is what he says. He says, your outcomes are a lagging measure of your habits. Your net worth is a lagging measure of your financial habits. Your weight is a lagging measure of your eating habits. Your knowledge is a lagging measure of your learning habits. Your clutter is a lagging measure of your cleaning habits. You get what you repeat. The things that you do over and over again, that's what you're going to get. The things that you commit yourself to and you say, this is what I'm devoting myself to. I am going to do this and I'm going to do it over and over and over again. That's going to have some kind of a result. It's not a one-time thing. It's not an accidental thing. 
right? Whether we do it on purpose or on accident, the things that we devote ourselves to, the things that we repeat over and over again, those are the results that we're going to get. And so what Luke is describing for us here in the book of Acts is what the church ought to be devoting themselves to. This is what you ought to commit yourself to so that you can be a Christ follower, a follower of Jesus who is devoted to God. These are the the things that we would expect you to devote yourself to. And the first thing that he starts with is the apostles' teaching. The apostles' teaching. Now these apostles, these sent ones, were the disciples of Jesus. And when you think about the early church committing themselves to the apostles' teaching, that's not all that strange. It's the very same thing that the disciples themselves had done. When Jesus had called to his disciples and he said, come, follow me, what did they do? They walked around with him. They followed him everywhere. They listened to his teachings. They asked him questions. Jesus, I don't get it. Jesus would very clearly explain something in a parable or some other teaching and the disciples would come to him afterwards and they go, we don't get it. Can you explain that a little bit better? And Jesus would say, well, I'm the Son of God, I explained it perfectly the first time, but let me try again. And he would patiently work with them through these various lessons and these teachings, and so the disciples, over those years with Jesus, learning from him, now said, okay, ah, we get it, we get it now. We get how when we read through the whole Old Testament, it tells us the story of God and gives us the character of God and highlights for us that Jesus is the fulfillment of the promises of God. That God has said, I want you to be devoted to me, and yet your sin keeps you from me, and you sin in leaving me, and so I need to forgive you of that. And so he offers Jesus as the promised Messiah to die for their sins so that they might follow him. And so the apostles are now teaching that. And all these people are gathering together and devoting themselves to the teaching of these disciples of Jesus. They had learned from Jesus, now they're passing it on. It's disciple teaching disciple who's then going to teach disciple, right? They're devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. They're devoting themselves to the words of Jesus and to the words of God. It says this in Ephesians chapter 4. It's another description that, that Paul, as his writing to the church in Ephesus, uh, we actually talked about this a little bit last week as we were talking about congregations of churches. This is what Paul's instruction to the church at Ephesus was. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. At every point, those uh, disciples were sitting and talking and discussing about God's Word, instructing one another, teaching one another. And so we have set it up and we say, okay, on Sunday mornings we're going to bring God's Word to you, I I don't claim to be all that wise, and um, so I'm trying to, at most, highlight what God's Word is for you, right? So we read it, and I say, this is what I see this is saying. And then the life groups get together throughout the week, and they wrestle through it, and they go, is that what it really said? Did Pastor Travis get that right? Is that what it really says? 
wrestling through it, understanding, making sure we get the meaning of what God's words were, the teachings of the apostles written down for us, passed down from generation to generation, now received by us in the Bible, we still are devoting ourselves to the apostles' teaching. And once we've wrestled through it and gone, yep, that's what it says, do we understand it? Hang on, I've got a question. Do we understand it? Making sure that we can explain to one another so that we get it and we, okay, yep, we all understand it. Okay, now what? Now what? And in the life group is the context for all of that, right? Because here, I can do some teaching, and maybe you could even raise your hand and we could answer some questions here, but it's really hard for us to get practical here, to really dive down in and and nail the nitty-gritty stuff on how we apply God's words to our lives. But when we're sitting around with seven or eight other people, and we're wrestling through it, we can ask all the questions. Totally safe to raise your hand and go, I don't get it there. Can you explain what this means? And to talk about, okay, well, if that's what it says, then how do I do that? And so it said that this is, this is what Paul had said to, in uh, Ephesians 4, that we should speak the truth in love to one another. That we are using God's word and explaining to one another, this is what I'm seeing in you. This is what I'm seeing in God's word. This is what I'm struggling with. This is what I'm struggling with in my faith right now as I'm wrestling with God's word and I'm evaluating my own life. Can you guys help me? What am I missing? What am I getting wrong? And we're devoting ourselves to God's word. I hope that personally you are devoted to God's word. I I know that for this morning you have devoted yourself to God's word because you're here. You're here. At least in part to hear from God's word. I hope that you are devoting yourself to God's Word on a daily basis. We have uh, uh, the YouVersion Bible app. Uh, Some of us are going through uh, the story of the Bible in a year, one chapter at a time. So we're not reading every chapter in the Bible, but we're reading one chapter at a time and getting through the whole story of the Bible. If you have not joined us on that and you'd like to, by all means, let me know, and we'll get you signed up so that you can walk through it with us. Or uh, you can find many different ways of tracking, finding uh, Bible reading plans in version, in uh, other places, or just open up the Bible and read. But committing a, a, a part of every day, devoting yourself to God's Word, and then as groups, we help each other, right? Because how often have you read and gone, I do not get that. I do not get that. Sometimes when in the, the little, there's a little chat thing after the Bible reading, and somebody will go, I don't get this passage at all. I don't get this passage at all. <laughs> in fact, one, one of my favorites, some, somebody once said, I read through it, and so I read it again, and that didn't help. And I felt like, yeah, I did the same thing. That was a tough passage. Yep, I read it. I didn't get it, so I read it again, and it didn't help. That's why we have the life groups, right? That we can talk together through God's Word, encourage one another. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to the fellowship. They devoted themselves to fellowship. Just as the disciples had spent 
three years walking with Jesus, living life with him in fellowship, right? Sharing things in common. Experiencing life together. Bearing one another's burdens. Humbly serving one another. And saying, okay, you need this, you need that. I'm sharing with each other. Again, from the book Atomic Habits, this is the last quote. It's, it's a good book. It's not the Bible good. It's helpful. But one of the things that he says that I resonated with me, one of the most, most effective things that you can do to build better habits is to join a culture where your desired behavior is the normal behavior. Surround yourself with people who have the habits you want to have yourself. You'll rise together. Nothing sustains motivation better than belonging to the tribe. It transforms, it transforms a personal quest into a shared one. Now, our life groups are not perfect. The people in the life groups are not perfect. But these are the things that we want to be devoting ourselves to. These are the things that we want to be working on, and we're sharing the commitment together. Right? We're working on these things together. And I've talked with people, and they've gone, you know, I tried a life group for a little while, or I tried a small group for a little while, and I just, it wasn't for me. It wasn't for me. It was hard. It was inconvenient. I've got other stuff going on. It wasn't very fun. I didn't really like it. We rubbed people, the, rubbed each other the wrong way, and so I, it just, it wasn't for me. And I go, oh yeah, I understand. Me too. Me too. Life groups aren't for anybody. And what I mean when I say that is that I don't think that there's anybody that every week is like, woohoo, we get to go to life group. Highlight of my week, Right? There are times that that happens. There are definitely seasons that it's like, oh my goodness, do we have to do this again? It is a discipline to participate in life group. I've said this before, but there are some of you that are new enough, you haven't heard me say this before. There have been times that Teresa and I have gone, here we go again back to life group. There have been times when she's gone, I don't know that it's worth it for me to go. I went, I chased kids, we went home. I can chase kids at home. (laughs) I prepared food, we brought food, we ate the food, I didn't talk to anybody or see anybody because all I did was deal with kids the whole time and then we went home again. It would have been much easier for me if I just stayed home the whole time. Guess what? It's almost always going to be easier to just stay home and not participate in a life group. But those seasons, those seasons that have been so difficult, those seasons in which going to life group, participating in life group was merely a discipline, were so rewarding. 
the relationships that were built, the influence that we, uh, in people's lives that we had over that time and the influence that they had in our life in that time, it wasn't about the time we spent one evening a week together. It was about the life impact that they had on me, on my kids, and that we got to have on them. That's what it's all about. That's the fellowship that happens in the life group. People devoting themselves to it. It's a discipline. You have to devote yourself to it. It doesn't happen on accident. Nobody accidentally walks into life group week after week after week. I've never seen that happen. You have to be committed to it. You have to devote yourselves to it. And these are some of the things that they are, are, are devoting themselves to. Ephesians 4 again. He says, uh, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. And you know, that sounds lovely. Don't I want to be among a group of people like this? Yes. Yes, we do. However, the reason that Paul has to say, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you, is because they are going to offend you, they're going to frustrate you, they're going to annoy you, they're going to cause problems for you, and so you're going to have to be kind and tenderhearted and forgive them as God in Christ forgave you. And what better context to practice those things than in that life group? Because those are the kinds of characteristics you want to have anyway, right? Those are the kinds of things that you want to be doing in your life. That's the way that you want to be with your family. That's the way you want to be with your coworkers. That's the way that you want to be with your neighbors. You want to have these characteristics in your life. But if you want to have those characteristics in your life, you have to practice them. And so practicing them with other people who are also trying to practice them, and you have to come to them and say, I am sorry. I did not mean to wrong you. I did not mean to offend you. Would you please forgive me? Or going to somebody and saying, I know you may not have meant this, but I was so offended so frustrated, so bothered. And it is in that fellowship, that working together, that we grow and we are able to express forgiveness to one another and kindness and tenderheartedness. They devote themselves also to the breaking of bread. This is one of my favorite things. Food. They devoted themselves to food. Sign me up for that. Right? Why do they do that? Well, in part, that's what they did with Jesus. Right? They walked around with Jesus. They talked with Jesus. They had fellowship with Jesus. And they shared food together all the time. And Jesus told them, continue to do this. And when you do it, remember me. Have you ever wondered, why do we pray right before we eat? Why do we do that? I think it goes back to Jesus saying, every time you do this, every time you break the bread together and eat together, do this in remembrance of me. 
We remember God's provision every time we eat. When we eat, we recognize that we have this need to eat, right? If we didn't eat, we would die. Everybody needs to eat. Everybody has a hunger that is satisfied when they eat. And when we do that, it is a time that we can stop and we can pray and say, God, we recognize that we need this provision from you. We need you to provide all of our needs. Not just the food, not just the food, but for all of our needs. And it is an opportunity every single day to stop and remember. But it is also a place that puts us all together at the same place, right? On the same footing. We all need to eat. And so when we get together, we get to share food together and we express a common dependence on the provision of God. And we get to remind each other how good God is. And there's something, too, about when you're eating, it just makes everything relationally easier, right? There's something about eating and talking that it, the talking comes easier when you're eating. I think this is why every kind of a celebration, there's food there, right? Because we celebrate in food. Food is also a way of expressing love for one another. People don't all like the same things. People don't all, all, can't eat all the same things, right? And so when we recognize that about one another, we can humbly know and accept and uh, care for other people in the group when we say, oh, I recognize you have this dietary need, and so I prepared this dish in thinking about your dietary need. It's a way of us showing preference for one another. It's a way of us showing preference for one another. Is that we can, can see, okay, this is, I'm devoting myself to food, and in the context of a life group, in the context of a, a group of people, when I'm devoting myself to food, it means I'm going to participate and bring food generously along. Right? So we, we think about, okay, am I being generous in what I'm bringing to participate in this meal? Am I thinking of others in the way that I do this? Am I being the first one to go through the line and then just taking all that I want without thinking about how much food there is and how many people there are? Or am I going through being mindful of, okay, how many people are there? How much food is there? I need to be careful about how much I take so that there's enough for everyone. Mental note. If there's not going to be quite enough for everyone, probably next time I should bring a little bit more so that there's enough for everybody. These are really practical things, but really caring, humble ways that we can serve one another and, and, and show preference for one another rather than our inclination, my inclination, which is towards selfishness, and to go, hmm, that one looks the best i got to make sure I get through the line first because there's two types of desserts here, and that one is chocolate, and that one is chocolate mint. No on the chocolate mint. So I'm going to get through the line first, very sure I'm going to get the chocolate one, and somebody else gets stuck with the chocolate mint. Or, humbly, sacrificially, I can let somebody else go first show preference for them rather than for myself. It's a, it's a way of demonstrating love for one another. They devote themselves to the breaking of bread 
and they devote themselves to prayer. They devote themselves to prayer. James 5 verse 16 says, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. And so uh, life groups are all a little bit different in the way that they're structured, so I'm just going to give you the pattern for my life group. We bring food, we share food together for an hour-ish, 45 minutes or, or an hour, then we talk about God's word for a little while, then we pray together and we share prayer requests. And we send those prayer requests out so that everybody can be praying throughout the week for those things. And when I read this in James that we ought to confess our sins to one another and pray for one another because the prayer of a righteous person has great power in its working, I think, yeah, and that's why that's such an important part of what we do. When we pray together as a life group, there are righteous people in my life group who are praying for me. I want them praying for me. I want them to know the things that I'm having challenges with in my life, the things that I'm struggling with, so that they can be praying for me because the prayers of a righteous person has much power. And there have been many times when I have spent time praying with people in life group and hearing other people pray and going, oh, I want to pray like that. Learning from people, even in the way that they pray for each other, or even in the way that they ask for prayer requests, and the things that they're thinking about that they want prayer for, I go, wow, that's a really good request. I should think about that. And then it sounds like copying, right? Because then I start doing that kind of thing. Oh, they made a really good prayer request. I'm going to make one that sounds like theirs. That's not bad. That's not bad. In school, if you look over at somebody else's paper and you cheat off of what they said, you, you copy their answer, that's a bad thing. Around here, we can copy each other's answers. That's great. If they got the right answer on what the Bible means and I copied it, thumbs up on that. If they have a really good way of praying, if they're really good at thinking about the needs of other people and asking for prayer requests about that and it causes me to think that way that's why we're doing this copy one another cheat all day long in that way and then this is the results right so he he in uh, luke captures for us what they have committed themselves to these practices in uh, the word, I'm just going to use our terminology, word, fellowship, food, and prayer. He, he gives that, those things, and then he describes now what this looked like. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And you just listen to this and go, this, does, it, this sounds amazing. And it was amazing. And here he makes it sound perfect, but he's going to let you know a little bit later in the book of Acts that it wasn't actually perfect. There were selfish people in these groups doing things for the wrong reasons. There were selfish, arrogant, proud people that were not humble. And they were doing things for all the wrong reasons and not in, in the right way. 
But this is how he captures it for us here, that they are sharing things in common, taking care of one another's needs, and that's what happens in the church. It's not perfect. Sometimes it's ugly. He'll get to that later in the book of Acts, but right now he just wants to show us the potential, the potential for what it looks like for Christ followers to live in community with one another. Verse 46, and day by day, They were attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. And they received their food with gladness and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. Here he has the two things, right? That they are meeting together corporately, day by day. They're committing to each other. They're devoted to it. It's a day by day kind of thing. They attend temple together, which would be like our gathering here for worship. And then day by day, they're breaking bread in homes. It's that, that big group worship together and then the smaller groups meeting individually. And they received their food with glad and generous hearts and they praised God, having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And in our practices, we have five, right? So I've already mentioned word, fellowship, food, and prayer. And then we have mission. That is that we are helping one another to express God's love to those who don't, know, don't yet know Jesus. And we see that in the context of this, right before this section where, he, where Luke describes these four practices, he talks about 3,000 being saved. And then at the end of it, he says, and the Lord added to their number day by day. The saving of souls is baked in, but what happens with those people after they are saved is they come into these kinds of communities and devote themselves to fellowship with one another and learning together. And so I just want to encourage you. Can, can, if you're in a life group, would you raise your hand? If you're not in a life group, I'm not going to make you raise your hand. I just, want, <laughs> I just want you to see the people whose hands are raised, and they would be happy to talk with you about how you can participate in their life group, okay? If you're interested in joining a life group, you can, can talk to anybody whose hand is raised. You can talk with me. Uh, I'd love to get you connected to a life group community because I really do. I have talked about this in the past that uh, life groups are the heartbeat of our church, Right? This is the corporate expression of our church, our gatherings on Sunday morning like this, but the heartbeat of our church is in the life groups. That's where the, where, that's where the growth is happening, that's where the fellowship happening, is happening, and, and that's where we're really seeing God at work. So let me pray for you now. Lord God, we thank you that you have saved us not just as individuals, but have saved us to live in community with one another. Father, I pray for those here who are in life groups as they are close enough to one another that they frustrate each other. Lord, I pray that you would cause them to uh, be patient and gentle and forgiving toward one another. Pray that they would be uh, humble and asking for forgiveness. I pray that they would be humble in asking for prayer. And Father, I pray for those who are not connected to a life group, that you would help them to uh, find a community of your people that they can be devoted to and that will be devoted to them. 
that they might grow day by day in knowledge and love for you as they see how great Jesus is. And we ask for this in his name. Amen.